Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Hey, and welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know. This is Joe and John and... And... Andy Morrow. Yeah, right. Our friend Andy Morrow, who is a specialist that we're bringing in today uh, for our topic. For our topic, it's true. And need I say that this is probably... The coolest podcast we've ever done. It is. It is. Now we should. Why is that? Because I'm here. Well, well, one of many reasons. Another reason would be we start with a little different music today, because we got um, some complaints. We got about some complaints. Our quote, which we will address later. Our hee haw music. music. So just a little, you know, for those of you who are already confused by the uh, different intro- introduction music, uh, we'll explain that a little later. Yes, but also uh, we are in a different location today. Uh, and this is just awesome. Yeah, it I'm is. I'm loving it, man. It is. Usually we're in this, like, dark, cave-like, uh, moist dwelling Dwell. in the seminary. Dark. Uh, yeah, and there's, like, there's just, like, you know, old beer bottles sitting around and things dripping from the ceilings, cockroaches. Yeah, all kinds of weird right stuff. Right now, we're, like, in downtown Denver in, like, a high-rise suite, it feels like. I feel like we're in a studio. Like, we're actually legit. It's pretty awesome. We know better than that, though. <laughs> we, do, we do know better. We changed our location today. We're actually in John's bedroom right We're now. We're in my room, which is kind of like a uh, clubhouse because it's on the third floor in an old Victorian house, and uh, you have to bend down to walk through anything. So I have to bend down. I'm, you have to bend down. Andy doesn't have to bend down. I, I have to bend down on the sides, not, mm-hmm. not in the middle. I'm good in the middle. Good. In the middle. But anyway, so th- I think we have a good topic for an uh, awesome podcast to start things off. Well, what are we talking We're about? talking about... St. Therese, the little flower. St. Therese, the little flower. And I was kind of nervous about talking about this because, you know, for the most part, it seems like Catholic Stuff has done podcasts on, like, more obscure topics in general. And this is something that a lot of people, this is someone that a lot of people know about, have devotion to. And if I screw it up, I'm sure I'll hear from some people, uh, if not many. I think we should be eating like candy canes or something, though, while we're talking about St. Therese, because she's just so sweet. And so I hope what you can convince me of is, you know, when I read the story of soul, it was just like, oh, and then I hugged my third favorite sister <laughs> a second time. And it's just like, you know, John, is that what she's really about? Well, you know? let's talk about this, because, okay. I mean, you might say that, but Pius X called her, or Pius X in the beginning of the 20th century, called her the greatest saint of modern times. That's quite a claim. He called her that, and that was before she was canonized. St. Therese uh, was born in, t- what, 18-something. I don't even know. Uh, don't we research before? <laughs> <laughs> you would think. she was. She, I know she died in 1897. She was born in modern times and died in modern times. <laughs> we know that. She, she died in 1897. She was 24 years old. So what is that, 1973? She was 1873. 1873. <laughs> no, she's negative. Hey, you know what? We're just warming up here. Have another, have another I know. Cup of it's early. It's early. Um, Pius X called her the greatest saint of modern times. Uh, she was canonized in 1925. Okay. Pius X said this before she was even canonized. John Paul II, in 1997, on the anniversary of her death, uh, named her one of uh, a doctor of the church, one of three women in the history of the world to be named a doctor of the church, the highest honor that a saint can receive that's beautiful now wait a second you said she was canonized in the early 20th century though i thought it was just john paul who was kind of just a big oh no therese fan she was canonized by who was the pope then pius the 11th in 1925 okay uh canonized her in 1925 i mean she she died i mean she lived her whole life in this little pretty much almost her whole life in northwestern france when she was 15 she entered a cloistered convent spent nine years there before she died at the age of 24 of tuberculosis um, she didn't really like 
she was totally a no-name, unheard of person in the world when she was alive. Nobody really outside of her family and her convent really knew much about her at all. Um, she died when she was 24. She wrote, a sm- under obedience, ended up writing something uh, about her life and about some of her thoughts and the fruits of her prayer. Uh, 2,000 copies were printed uh, the year after her death. And each year after that, another 2,000 were printed. Um, and just they kept wanting more and more. And by 1925, over two, 20 million copies of her story of the soul, her autobiography, sold in France. 20 million copies. And that's just in France alone. That's not counting the millions that are sold in other countries and other languages. So this is like within the span of, what, 28 years, devotion to this little 24-year-old saint, none that nobody knew of. People were reading her stuff everywhere and loving her. And she was, you know, the greatest saint of modern times, doctor of a church within 100 years. Crazy. So the question we're going to answer now is, what, what's she about? Why is it that this little no-name, young, uh, childlike saint uh, is so popular? So you're telling me that a devotion to St. Therese existed before the Little Flowers started a household in Franciscan University in Steubenville. It's, it's true, man. But with this okay. banter, we've got to make sure we're not going over people's heads here. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. we'll get now, why is Andy here is my other question. Andy is here because Andy knows more about St. Therese than I do. And so he'll be able to supplement uh, the defects of what I offer. So you know things like the day she was born and stuff like that? Uh, you know, I, I know January she was... January 2nd. January I know 2nd. I don't know the year. I gotta be honest, I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know the Joseph year that Joseph was in the 1970s. Yeah, 19, definitely 1970s. <laughs> She's the only saint in the history of the church to actually live backwards. She's a flower <laughs> yeah, child. It's amazing. Right. Yeah. Alright, enough of this. Um, we're gonna go on now. So her life. We're gonna talk about just a quick bio. What was she about? Okay, so she was the youngest of nine children. Four of them died when they were really young. Uh, so she ended up really being raised. It was her and her four sisters. Um, her mother died when she was four years old. She was raised by her father. Uh, three of her four older siblings end up going to the convent, and the fourth one actually ended up following her to the convent as well. So all of her sisters end up becoming nuns. Uh, three of them were in her own convent, the same convent she had. Uh, she was, as she was a child, she was a bit of a spoiled child. Her father used to call, refer to her and call her, you know, my little queen. And her sister, you know, that's how her sisters would talk about her. Um, and she would say that. And if you read Story of a Soul, she'll say that she kind of got everything she wanted. Um, but her family was super, I mean, her father was a saintly man. He was just beatified by Pope Benedict. His, her uh, father and mother were beatified. And mother beatified yeah. together. Cool. Incredible. So this, he was a holy man. We, we can't really go much in his life, though, because we're short on time. Um, she wanted to be a nun forever. Uh, since she was like two years old. I think when she was two, she said, I'm going to do on the convent someday. And it was like, one of, not like her first words, but close to it. I mean, two years old. Um, she ended up asking her father for permission to join the convent when she was 14 years old and received it from her father. Uh, she tried to get into the convent right away and it actually ended up going on a pilgrimage to Rome. And when she saw the Pope asked him and he said, you know, well, God wills it, you'll be there, you know. And But eventually she got permission to join the convent and joined it when she was 15 years old. Hmm. And was there for the next nine years. Um, she was a bright girl. She was a poet. She was a playwright. She wrote a play, um, at least one. Um, and you see from her writings that she's she's bright. She's smart. She's not super well versed and studied and educated. Uh, she didn't have a doctorate, even though she is a. Doctor so how church, old so. was she when she actually entered? Because I know she wanted to enter, and then there was a couple of years. Um, you know, I mean, it was like it was. She wanted. To, she got permission from her father when she was fourteen, and 14. she entered when she was fifteen. Crazy. So it was just like. I mean, but she had wanted to enter her whole right, life. Right. Um, and Carmel was in her same town. Right. Uh, although, even though she was in the cloister, she couldn't leave the cloister. Right. So after she ended, one, for nine years, she didn't go anywhere. So uh, it's just totally wild, totally foreign from our concept of uh, just 
how people live and even our concept of being celibates and going to the priesthood, uh, the cloistered life is just a totally different life. It's a life completely devoted to one thing, and that's just to give yourself completely to God right. in prayer. Um, a lot of and, people don't know this, but when you take vows, you actually consecrate yourself to the Lord. Um, it's different. So like as priests, we're going to be consecrated, but through our ordination versus she was totally consecrated, but it was through her vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Awesome stuff. There you go. Thank you for that little little sidebar. There you go. All right, so what did she write about, um, and why did she write? Um, well, she basically, she was talking one day uh, with her sisters. Uh, her actual blood sisters were in the comment with her, and they were just like talking about their childhood, and she was remembering all these stories, and her one sister, Mother Agnes of, what was it, Mother Agnes, I think, who was her sister Pauline, um, said, Therese, I want you to write, under obedience, I want you to write these things down. Uh, and it was, she, so basically her sister, her blood sister wanted her to just kind of start write, taking memoirs of her memories as a child, huh. just for the sake of her other sisters, just so they could share these memories together, you know? So under obedience, she just started kind of writing about her life from, as a child. And, and this is really the fruit. And this, when you read Story of the Soul, what we have is Story of the Soul, it's really three manuscripts. And manuscript A, which is the big chunky one in the beginning of it, uh, to, you know, maybe three quarters of the way through this, the book. That's all just her reflecting on her life. And really kind of it was meant to be just a memoir to her sisters, right? And, you know, one awesome point about that is that Mother Agnes was only the the mother of that convent for a year and a half. Um, the rest of the time that Therese was in the convent, there was a different mother. And it's really remarkable that at the time of her life that Therese would have been able to write this manuscript, her own blood sister was the mother and had the authority to command Therese to write her memories because had that not happened, um, she probably, we probably would have missed out yeah, on the remarkable totally, memories. Totally of providential. Scene. Totally yeah. awesome. And then she wrote manuscript B, which is only about like 15 pages long. Um, she wrote to another one of her sisters, her oldest sister, Marie, because uh, she asked her to, she was talking with her about the fruits of her retreat that she made. And her sister Marie said, I love it. If you could write this down and give it to me, that'd be great. Cause this is great stuff. Um, and then manuscript C, which is, uh, was under obedience again from her prioress to finish manuscript A, kind of finish her autobiography because, and she wrote that really on her deathbed. In fact, the last line she wrote, uh, and she just, she stopped because she just couldn't, she was too weak to write with a pencil anymore. Wow. Um, so, I mean, this, the, she, the words that we have from her go right up to, I think a few weeks, maybe a month before her death, uh, in, 19, in 1897. So anyway, so what is she about? What's, what's her, I guess her doctrine, which is how her sister referred to it, uh, in manuscript B. And we're really just going to zero in on one thing because for time's sake, I mean, there's so much, just a recommendation. If you haven't read Story of the Soul, um, any spiritual master in the church right now, I think if they compiled a list of like maybe the 10 greatest spiritual classics of all time, I think Story of the Soul would be on most of those lists, if not all. Like it is, it is one of the, it's amazing because it's so recent and it's only in the last, you know, 100 years or so. Um, but it is on par with uh, so many of the other great classics we have from you know from John of the Cross to Bernard of Clairvaux. So it's just a worth read, and it's really I mean it was written by a twenty one in her young twenties, very readable, very you know endearing kind of language, easy to relate to. Right now, I got a question for Andy. Uh, as a guy, and you are definitely a, a guy, um, you, you look at the life of Saint Therese and you read her writings and you think, well, this is very kind of you know, flowery and French, and but also very profound. But it's so feminine. And the question is, um, you know, what what should a should a man have a devotion to Saint Therese? And if so, what is she gonna what is she gonna bring to kind of an authentically masculine spirituality? Well, you know, the thing that's so remarkable about Saint Therese, and probably the thing that's the most misunderstood about her life, is that 
you know, everybody has this conception, like you just said, like, you know, why would any man want to have a devotion to her? But the most remarkable thing about St. Therese is that she combined her incredible humility with an incredible generosity. And her whole life is marked by self-sacrifice. And there's nothing more masculine than being willing to, to give yourself away. And at the same time, there's nothing more feminine than that. Yeah. And so to, uh, you know, for St. Therese to live a life of complete generosity that's, that's constantly being given back to God for the sake of people that she's never even met. And, you know, that's the remarkable thing. I look at Therese in my life and I'm like, wow, she, her life has changed my life and she never even knew that I would exist. But she, she changed her, my life because of her generosity and her sacrifice of her life to God for the sake of the church. And there is nothing, there is nothing more masculine or more feminine than to give your life completely to God. Now, that's right on, man, because one of the things, I mean, again, she was in a cloister her whole life, never got out, but she had all these desires uh, to give herself as a martyr, to give herself as uh, a missionary, to be an apostle, like she even had a desire to be a priest, and she didn't understand that because she was like, "I just these are the desires of my heart. I want, I want everything." Um, and she so desired to give everything, um, and because of this, not because I'm going to explain this in a second here, but she ended up being named co-patron of the missions of the mission of the church, um, it, well, alongside Fran- Saint Francis Xavier, who you know was a missionary to India and the East and baptized over thirty thousand people. Uh, Saint Francis Xavier, patron of the missions. Uh, who's done all this stuff, and St. Therese of Lisieux, who didn't do anything, really. I mean, in the eyes of the world, she didn't yeah, do anything, kind of which is the crazy thing. So how does this work? Um, I'm going to share with you a brief story, and this kind of like is kind of the heart of what St. Therese is about. Um, no pun intended after you hear what I'm saying. But this is uh, this is what I'm going to share with you is from the breviary. When we, we just celebrated, the reason I wanted to do it on St. Therese is because her feast day was October 1st, not too long ago. So I was reading this, and I was like, she's just awesome. We got we to gotta share this. So... She had all these desires. She wanted to be a martyr. She wanted to be an apostle. She wanted to give everything and do. And she even said, like, she just didn't. She had all these desires. She didn't understand because she like would look at the martyrs and she said, "I want to die like every single one of these martyrs' death." I think about like the end times and the the persecution of the church that will happen, and I my heart leaps for joy. I have a desire to die every to to give my life for the sake of the church, you know, and in all these different ways. And she didn't understand this. And so when she was thinking about this, and she um, saw this vast chasm between her desires and what God was asking her to live in the cloister and to be uh, a nun who didn't do anything. So, And she, she knew that she, she was where she was supposed to be, but she took this to prayer and there was a real lack of peace in this. So she was like, how is this going to work? So she opens the Bible, ends up going to 1 Corinthians uh, verses 12 and 13, and she's reading 1 Corinthians 12. It's all about the body and the body has many parts. There are some who are called to be apostles. There are some you know, called to be prophets and healers and, and no part can have, that uh, has multiple functions. You know, we all have different roles in the body of Christ, mystical body of Christ. And, and she saw this and she's like, but she still had these desires. And she, she's like, well, how does this work? You know, where's my place? What's my vocation? Um, and so she read on and when she found 1 Corinthians 13, this is where, you know, Paul says, um, you know, I will show you, you know, these are all the gifts, set your desire on the greater gift. And I will now show you the, the way which surpasses all others. And then Paul goes into this beautiful um, explication of love and how love is the highest. You can do all these things. You can, you can, yeah, you can preach many things. You can have gifts of prophecy. But if you don't have love, you don't have anything. And as she was reading this, um, she had this great peace because she was like, this is, this is what my life's about. It's about love. And this is the heart of it. And this is, I'm just going to read this one paragraph from this excerpt. She, beautiful when she comes upon this. She says, when I had looked upon the mystical body of the church, I recognized myself in none of the members which St. Paul described. And what is more, 
I desired to distinguish myself more favorably within the whole body. Love appeared to me to be the hinge for my vocation. Indeed, I knew that the church had a body composed of various members, but in this body the necessary and more noble member was not lacking. I knew that the church had a heart, and that such a heart appeared to be aflame with love. I knew that one love drove the members of the church to action, that if this love were extinguished, the apostles would not have proclaimed the gospel. The martyrs would have shed their blood no, no more. I saw and realized that love sets off the bounds of all vocations, that love is everything, that this same love embraces every time and every place. In one word, that love is everlasting. And this leads her to a point where she's just like, this is my vocation. My vocation is to be love. Like, you know, as priests, you know, we're going to be, you know, anointing people. We're going to be ministering. We're the hands of Christ. We're the voice of Christ preaching. Uh, and there are other people who are apostles and ministers and who are loving in the world and are kind of like, you know, Christ has no body on earth right now but ours. And so people are his hands. People are his feet going out. But Teresa was like, what is mine? And she realized that love is what is is what is coursing through every single part of the body and bringing meaning and unity to everything and which holds the body together. And it was a, the, the heart of the church, the body, the mystical body of Christ, the church, had a heart and it had to be aflame with love. And that's where she saw her vocation. Some people are called to be the hand. Some people are called to be the head. I'm just called to love with everything. Mm-hmm. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful thing. And the re- and this is why she's the co-patron of the missions because as missionaries, um, as priests, without love, we don't do anything. Uh, without love, our life isn't fruitful. Um, our life isn't effective. The, the works that we do won't have, the meaning will fall short because love is what gives its meaning and that's what that's what it's all about. That's what we're bringing people into. So, And I think it's fitting that um, she's the greatest saint of modern times because um, in the modern culture, we're addicted to activity. Absolutely. We love to do stuff. And this applies for us as Catholics and as missionaries as well, that we think, uh, you know, we're going to do great things for God. And uh, and we're going to go do them, and then he's going to be like, that's great. And that, that's really backwards. And I think she kind of brings us back to the heart of the matter, which is uh, it's about the love that you do it for with Christ, even the smallest things. And I, I think there's another reason why she's considered the greatest saint in modern times. And um, what a lot of people don't know about Therese, everybody who knows her life very well or who's read the story of his soul, realizes that she died of tuberculosis. It took her about, she had it for a couple of years, but in the last 18 months of her life, she really suffered intensely from, from the disease that, that ravaged her body and, and kind of slowly caused her death. But what people don't realize is that simultaneous with the physical suffering, Therese was undergoing an incredible spiritual trial. Um, and she likened herself during that trial to atheists. And I think that the, the thing that makes her the greatest saint of modern times is that there's never been a generation more tempted to atheism than this. There's never been an era in the church when, when the world has proclaimed that there is no God and that there is no point in faith. And Therese felt those temptations and those thoughts and, and that in, in being able to relate to those things um, makes her the greatest saint of modern times that to her death, she persevered in faith and she constantly made acts of love and acts of faith um, because driven by that love of God. Uh, and so I think the greater suffering for her than her tuberculosis was that spiritual trial that she was undergoing. And that that is why the, the church has called her the greatest saint of modern times. It's awesome. It's, it's awesome. beautiful. So, it's funny. We, we've been talking about this uh, and it's like we're just scraping this. Yeah, we really are. There's so much more to go into. And I guess the only suggestion I can have is just read her stuff i mean it's so readable and it's so and it's so practical too it's just very like i was just reading it this morning actually there's a section she has near the end of uh 
end of the book about what charity is and she shares all these stories about trying to love her sisters and things that we can all relate to like we try to we try to love people we try to be charitable but there's some people that just tick you off or just drive you crazy and she had she was a saint greatest saint of modern times had the same experience and she just kind of talks about her own her own victories in that in those battles so i mean just read it story of the soul you can get it any catholic bookstore would have it beautiful check it out so that's all i got all right man you got any uh uh, emails for? we got some yeah we're gonna this is a new thing we're gonna be doing on the podcast uh sharing some emails that we've received um so we got a couple here we're gonna go through um so yeah any any suggestions we're super welcome um the first one I have here is from Jay in Vermont. Jay, uh, Dr. Jay, I believe. Uh, I think it's a Dr. Jay. It's just, okay. But um, he says this. He says, hey, guys, just found out a bit ago about uh, the podcast. Enjoyed. Here are some suggestions, in my opinion. Number one, the Hee Haw intro music has done its time. How about something else? It stinks. Oh, cut me to the heart, Jay. Jay, yeah, that, that, seriously, that, this, was, this was like, oh. I, uh, it, was, it was brutal to hear this. It's but like you know what? slapped my mother. <laughs> but we, we clearly have taken this to heart. But we do want to hear... We do want to hear uh, what other, what you guys think about the intro music, you know? Because I want to, you know, we can't just take feedback from one. we got to take from all. So please send us some emails. Tell us what you think. Um, Andy has to go. You have to go? Is that what you're doing? I, I do have to go. All right. Say Forgive bye to me. Andy, everybody. Bye, bye everybody. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay. So that's once. But he gave some other uh, couple great suggestions. Number two, he says, we need some explanation about the seminary process, what you study, how long you're in school. You ultimately become transitional deacons, but when in the process? Um, deacons would be a great topic for a podcast. What stage are each of you in? What is seminary life like? We need details. I think that'd be a, a great podcast. What we should probably do is the, the formation of the seminary. That'd be cool. Uh, because seminaries came into existence in the 16th, in the 16th century. Uh, but it'd be interesting to talk about how has the formation of priests changed over the years. So, Jay, uh, great suggestion. We'll come back to that. But just in short, seminary in Denver uh, is seven years. You start with a year of prayer. You do two years of philosophy. You do four years of theology. Mm-hmm. In your last year of theology, you're ordained a deacon, transitional deacon. So that means for the year you're a deacon, you serve as a deacon, and then you're ordained a priest um, at the end of your last year, and then you graduate, so to speak. That's right. And John is going to be ordained a deacon. Uh, in two days. Now. Two days. Oh, yeah. so by the time this podcast Spies is out, out, I'll be Deacon John. You'll be Deacon John, exactly. It, um, it uh, it's a beautiful life, um, and just a quick run through our day. We do holy hour together at six a.m. We have a uh, quick time for breakfast, and then classes through the morning, mass together. Um, and so it's a life of prayer, a life of study, but then apostolic work as well. So we're out doing all kinds of things from prison ministry to hospital ministry, lead Bible studies. Uh, working in Paris, just doing all kinds of things. So it's, it's a beautiful life, and hopefully we can go into that a little more. That'd be cool. In the future. So John is in his fourth year of theology. Um, I'm, I'm in my first year of theology, so I'm three years behind John. So he'll hopefully be able to keep doing this podcast after he's ordained a priest. But um, third suggestion from Jay. Sometimes when bantering back and forth, we forget you forget we're lay people, and sometimes go over our heads with topics. So thank you, and that's I you think know that's a good suggestion. that's a great suggestion. So. Jake, appreciate the email. Thank we you live, so much. Uh, seminarians kind of live in their own universe and their own lingo, and it's good to hear. You know, it's like when you got to make sure you bring it down. So, so thank you, Jake. Very cool. This one's from Georgia. You guys are awesome. Great podcast. Please keep it coming. Oh, Georgia. Georgia. Thank you. I actually printed that one off. That was kind of a uh, you know uh, a little uh, a very warm and loving thank you for your uh, support. So, I think that's good for today. Uh, any uh, emails, suggestions, comments, we appreciate it. Jay, thank you for the suggestion. Hope you enjoyed uh, a little Jack Johnson there to start it off. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com.